This episode is brought to you by Recall Buzz, powered by VinSmart. Learn more about how we can help you with fleet recall management and maintenance updates, as well as capture vehicle history and VIN data. Give VinSmart a call at 1-888-950-9550 or visit us on the web at vinsmart.com slash for businesses. Welcome to AnvaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Anva community. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the AnvaCast. This week, we are going to talk about the evolution of online car sales, how the selling and purchasing and exchange of vehicles has changed in the modern era, and what that means for the vehicle sales industry and what that means for our DMVs uh, in their oversight role and their regulation in registration and titling. So to join me for this conversation, I'm pleased to welcome Jim Walker from the New Jersey Motor Vehicle Commission. Jim is the Deputy Administrator for Safety, Compliance, and Business Operations. And also joining us is Lauren Bailey. Lauren is the Director of Franchising and State Law for the National Automobile Dealers Association, the NADA. Lauren, Jim, welcome to your first appearance on our AmbiCast. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Ian. So when we say this phrase, online car sales, it's probably good that we first define what we're talking about. Because I'm sure when you just throw out those words, lots of things jumps into people's heads. Everything from um, a car ad on something like Craigslist or social media, um, Facebook marketplace, all the way up to what we see now, which are these online car dealers, uh, where you could simply buy the car online, go and pick it up, and you don't go into a traditional dealership. Uh, Lauren, as someone who has their eye around nationally and globally what's happening with these trends, is that a good definition or am I oversimplifying what, what we mean by online car sales? I think that's a good definition. Um, you know, a car can be sold online, but, you know, there still has to be a physical location for the, the sale to take place. Um, it can't, the car can't exist in the ether somewhere. And the car is physically somewhere. The dealer or who's ever selling the car who has possession of it is, is located somewhere. So I think the evolution of the laws or regulations about online car sales really seek to get around, you know, where the car is located and where the sale is taking place. And how the, when you, as those regulations are evolving, are you seeing a lot of differences from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, or are you seeing consistencies and themes as different jurisdictions are trying to tackle uh, this evolving business model? I, I think we were already on the path to getting an all electronic transaction, at least from franchise new car dealers, or there was a desire to go down that path. Um, you know, NHTSA removing the federal requirement for a wet signature on the eodometer statement was probably the, the last barrier to really um, pushing the states towards adopting um, an all electronic um, si signature requirements for online car sales or any kind of car sales. But the pandemic really sped it up. And when you mm. saw a lot of the governor's executive orders authorizing, you know, selling online, um, remote deliveries, remote sales, um, it really sped up the process more to have the legislatures or any other jurisdictions look at this um, as something consumers wanted and what was good for um, consumers and the dealers alike. 
So, Jim, correct me if I'm wrong. You were a member of our Internet Vehicle Sales Working Group that um, has produced some uh, some helpful tools for the AMVA membership. Is this way that we're viewing this world of online vehicle sales? Um, what does that mean at the jurisdiction level as a DMV is trying to tackle um, regulation and oversight of these new business models? It, it present it does present quite a challenge uh, uh, for a couple of reasons. The the main purpose for licensing car selling or car dealers in the first place is for consumer protection. So the internet has opened up uh, avenues for say bad actors and not necessarily car dealers, uh, but even the the unlicensed folks who are out there operating to uh, you know scams and whatnot, uh, the business models change rapidly. And what you find in in state government is laws and regulatory changes tend to lag a little behind that because it just takes longer to understand and adapt to new approaches to business. And the electronic signature is, is one of those. Uh, there's a That's not necessarily a regulatory or legal change, but you have technology that has to catch up, security around the electronic signature, even the study of electronic titling, uh, which is a challenge all of itself mm-hmm. in order to <clears throat> facilitate, you know, perhaps the execution of documents without uh, the buyer and seller seeing each other face to face. And so even without that evolution of electronic title and the electronic signature, what are the challenges that DMV agencies are dealing with when someone comes in with a vehicle that they've purchased online. So to Lauren's point, at some point they have to physically go and get and do the transaction. Are you seeing it manifest itself differently when someone walks up to the counter and says, now I need to title or register this vehicle that I quote unquote bought online? I'm not aware that we're having issues at that point. The individual is walking in the door with the documents he needs at that at that time or the dealer is performing the transactions on his behalf what we have seen and it was uh certainly exaggerated by covid was the fact that a dealer selling a vehicle to someone in another state didn't necessarily have avenues to uh get that car uh title turned o- you know flipped over or the registration executed mm in a timely manner. Uh, often dealers have have avenues that the public does not have in, in getting these transactions done through certain programs, but within their own state. And and when, you ha- when you're going outside the state, each state was prioritizing things differently during the pandemic. And sure. I have seen quite a number of complaints come in from uh, car buyers, uh, in my state who purchased from another state and they're waiting a very long time to put the car on the road. One of the issues you come in with, when you have an online seller who may have processed the transaction in another state and you're the consumer and you you haven't gone through a dealer in the state, um, they're dropping the car in your driveway and they're leaving you with a packet of documents and they may not have the documents that your state needs. They may not have the temp tag that is the right amount of days for your state. They may not have all the documents to get the title. Um, and then that person 
whoever they are is out of it. You can't contact them. You don't really have legal resource recourse unless you want to go into their jurisdiction and sue them. So getting the regulations and the laws around these online sellers is important because it levels the playing field for the licensees in the state and gives the consumers recourse when someone just drops a car in your driveway and there's a problem or you can't get your title or you need a, a temp tag. And so, Lauren, you know, Jim brought up earlier the idea of the online sales has opened up the door for the not so good players that are trying to commit fraud. How, how does the dealer industry grapple with trying to have legitimate online car sales that whether it is a brick and mortar dealership with an online presence or a strictly online dealer, um, it's so hard for a consumer to differentiate the legitimate dealer and the fraudster. How's the dealer community reacting to that challenge? Well, if you're looking at a franchise new car dealer, you're looking at a um, a car dealer who in most states, they've put up a bond to get their license. You know, they're licensed by the state. They're, it's a heavily regulated industry. If you are dealing with a, a franchise new car dealer, you can be assured that this is not some fly-by-night mm-hmm. operation and definitely not a fraudster um, because of the regulations that the car dealers abide by. A customer should feel confident purchasing a car, whether going into the dealership or purchasing an, an online uh, transaction from from that dealer. I think that's certainly true, and perhaps easier to differentiate with uh, with new vehicles from you know manufacturer dealerships. Uh, certainly in the used car sector, that seems to be a heavier challenge. Have any? Yeah. Well, I think even if you purchase a used car from a franchise new car dealership, you would still, I mean, no one is going to jeopardize their investment in their dealership, at least from our members, doing a fraudulent action on a, on a used car, even if it's not their manufacturer brand. But Jim, you know, from the from the state perspective, though, you have all types of dealerships. You have very large um well-established dealers that, you know, Lauren is referencing. You also have mom and pop dealerships that have little, you know, used car dealerships on the side of the road that are just as legitimate. Uh, Yet a consumer might have the challenge of differentiating between what might be a small business used car dealer lot uh, and someone who might be popping up at the side of the road to, you know, pull up, pull a scam. How do do consumers battle that where online everything looks the same? That that is part of the challenge. I I have uh, I have seen dealerships who will uh, rent uh, a a physical space that complies with our requirements, and yet the vehicles aren't even kept in our state necessarily. And if Mm -hmm. you visit where those vehicles really are, and you compare it to the the picture on the website is a, a huge difference, uh, mm-hmm. shockingly different in some cases. So uh, it, it, it's troublesome. Um, as Lauren said, certainly new car dealers aren't this problem. They've invested a, a lot of money <clears throat> and are not going to risk their investment on um, some of the crazy schemes that you know consumers have bought to our attorney general's office. And I've seen some of those complaints it's it is some of the the players that they are 
complying with the letter of the law to get a license, but they're not necessarily looking to operate um, within the spirit of that law. And, and that's where it truly is buyer beware. Um, and, and I'm talking at this point about licensed dealers. There's a proliferation of people out on these websites who are acting as car dealers, but aren't licensed. And, and mm-hmm. we catch them when we can, but uh, Craigslist and, and sites like that offer the opportunity, of course, for you and I to, to sell a car that we no longer want, but it also op- offers the opportunity for people to uh, get a hold of cars and try to flip them. Uh, and, and they are even less willing to comply with consumer laws and regulations when it comes to selling somebody a vehicle. And have we have you seen an increase in that trend? You know, we talk about the difference of you or I wanting to sell a used car and someone who might be presenting themselves as an individual trying to sell a used car, but they really have a whole fleet of them that they're trying to move without the proper licensing, but they put themselves out there on social media or online as, you know, Ian or Jim just wanting to sell their used such and such. I would say yes, and 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 uh, I don't have actual statistics, but even just the 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 increase in demand of, of cars recently, used cars recently, uh, has certainly motivated people to do this. But I, myself personally, I I was not too long ago looking for a vehicle for one of my children, and we were shopping online. And you can see certain things sometimes. You'll see different cars parked in the same driveway in the photograph. Or I went to see a car, and when I got to the the individual's house on the property, where six or seven other cars had no license plates on them sitting on the property. So needless to say, I left and I spoke to our investigators. But it's it's a it's a it's a rampant problem there, and and it's it's someone has more recourse if they've purchased a defective vehicle when they purchase it from a dealer who's invested in a in a brick and mortar location somewhere who can a be found but b has made an investment and isn't going to try to fade into the scenery mm-hmm. so it's um it you know you, you tell people i you tell people they should go to a licensed dealer i don't know how many people check to see if there's a license hanging on a wall in any location yeah. they go to but it's it's really um it really comes down to the buyer being, you know, educated in what they should be looking sure. for. Not being lured in by a price that's too good to be true. Cause when it's too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true. <laughs> that's certainly one of, one of the indicators. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Lauren, I want to go back a little bit to, you know, the legitimate online car sales and how it's changing the marketplace for the traditional dealers and manufacturers there's you know there's one or two particularly high profile online car operations now where you you go online you look online you buy it online you just go and you pick it up from the giant vending machine of cars uh drive it away and if you don't like it you got 30 days to bring it back how has the introduction of those business models changed some of the traditional ways that the the longstanding dealers have operated. You know, I don't, I don't know if it's changed them. You know, dealers are ready to compete with, with a vending machine, with with anyone legitimately selling a car, and they're 
well-equipped to compete with them and to service the customers in the best way possible. Um, whether those market entrants have pushed um, franchise new car dealers to more online sales, I would say they, they may have, but it's really what the consumers want. Um, someone just building a vending machine and nobody wants to buy from a vending machine probably wouldn't move the needle. But when consumers want you know, to click on a website and have a car show up in their driveway, you know, dealers will definitely adapt to that, um, to the way they can, they can make that happen. I've, I've personally bought a car from my living room and the dealer drove the car from Maryland over to Virginia and delivered it uh, to my house. So I'm in that segment of people who would like to buy a car that way. I'm, there's a much greater segment of people who would rather kick the tire seat in person first. So their dealers are going to service every customer they can. Um, and there's a big, a big tent of people looking to buy cars and there's a lot of different um, selling models for all those customers. Yeah. I couldn't imagine buying a car without test driving it. Yeah, that's me. And the, the car's great. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Um, has it changed the way the, as the dealers are reacting to how the consumer behavior is changing? Are dealers, you mentioned some of them are doing more online sales. Is it really more online sales or is it strictly online advertising to get them in? Um, I'm sure, I'm sure it's a mix. I'm just trying to dig a little bit deeper on, you know, how these trends that are changing the way uh, auto dealers are, are behaving. Well, I don't, I don't think there's a dealer in America that's not advertising online. I, I mean, even your smallest single point dealer in North Dakota has an online store where people can look at their inventory. Um, as far as actually selling or completing a transaction online, there's a patchwork of laws that will decide as to how far you can go with, you know, sitting in your living room and having the car appear in your driveway. NADA has been focused on making sure that for dealers who want to go that route, that they're compliant. And we've put out a guide to online financing and e-contracting to all of our members so they know the pitfalls or the best practices to implement um, this, this, way, this practice. So Jim, Lauren mentions this patchwork of laws, if you will, or the differences from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Uh, from your perspective, what should jurisdictions be doing to start adapting to the online sales in this environment if they're not, if they're not doing it already? Um, you mentioned early on that we know that the regulatory and legal process always lags behind trends. That still doesn't mean you shouldn't be working to update the laws, regulations, DMV operational processes. You know, what, what are some of the top tips you might give some of your jurisdiction peers that want to make sure that their jurisdiction is keeping pace with the changes? Well, I think, you know, and it's interesting. We, we had conversations when I was on the uh, working group and we were developing the, the best practices. And, you know, oddly enough, you're talking about the internet and online and, and a virtual presence, as it were. And yet, what jurisdiction should require is that there actually is a physical presence somewhere. I mean, the, the idea that the dealer uh, can be located when there's a, a consumer issue or when a regulatory agency such as taxation or, or motor vehicles uh, needs to examine the books, as it were, of a dealership that you can actually locate the dealership. So as virtual as it is, uh, you know, you, you, want, you want that. You want that requirement that they, 
that they be present somewhere. And secondly, that they actually be present. Um, one of the challenges is having someone who knows anything about the business actually being there to, to speak to. And these aren't the kinds of things that you normally would schedule. You might you might schedule a, a trip to a dealer because you're trying to resolve a consumer complaint. But if you're trying to uh, ascertain that they're adhering to other laws and regulations, it's usually an unannounced visit. And so the unannounced visit is worthless if there isn't someone there to who can answer questions. And so, you know, the, t- the top two things is a, is, is a, a physical location somewhere and that someone of, of authority is present during the, during the business hours. And this goes not only to, like I said, handling regulatory concerns, but also that a consumer can locate the seller if, if there's a, an issue with the purchase. And Lauren, from your perspective, you use that, that phrase that uh, sometimes jurisdictions bristle at the patchwork of state laws because there's always going to be differences across jurisdiction lines. Where might there be some current inconsistencies that you think the entire ecosystem, you know, especially using your own example of you're sitting in Virginia, bought the car in Maryland, you know, all those things happening across state lines are happening more and more these days. Where might the um, the industry seek some uh, consistencies across jurisdiction lines that would then ultimately protect consumers? You know, I, I do agree with Jim that having a physical location somewhere, not just existing in the ether of the internet is, is first of all, a fabulous idea and, and everyone should have one. Um, so that that's step one. Someone has to be somewhere with the cars, with the business records, um, so that consumer complaints can be re- redressed. Um, I, I think for consistency, we should really look at resolving the wet signature versus electronic signature um, debate. And even though I know mm-hmm. everyone's moving towards that, and we do need to make sure that electronic signatures are secure, that we make sure they're not fraudulent, that all the security is in place, because these are not small purchases. Um, and we, we don't want rampant fraud because we're having people sign other people's names to sales contracts. Um, I think in 2021, it's definitely time to um, allow electronic signatures when a consumer is wanted um, on, on their sales documents and for jurisdictions to start moving mm. towards that. And they are. I do, I do believe that they are. Yeah. Oh, they most definitely are. And you're absolutely right, Lauren. It was uh, with NHTSA uh, and finally finalizing the regulation, allowing for electronic odometer disclosure really has opened up the door. And as we've discussed on um, previous episodes of this podcast, we know that there is a active initiative to really make e-titling uh, a reality, um, not only within an individual state lines, but you know, being able to transfer that electric title across Across states, of course, devils in the details, and those things always take longer than we want them to. Um, but you know, let, let's do a, a quick little case study of that, Jim, in in New Jersey. Um, where is New Jersey on the spectrum of allowing uh, electronic signatures, odometer disclosure, starting to put plans in place for e-titling? Just a little, a little snippet into the jurisdiction we happen to have online. <laughs> I'm not directly involved with that effort, however. Uh... My understanding is the first step towards that, we're establishing an electronic uh, lien release process. And 
So that that is something we're working towards. Uh, beyond that, uh, I'm not sure how far off we are on an electronic title process. One of the challenges that I can see from the outside looking in on on such a ch- project is that uh, once a t- if a title is coming in or or going out of the state, you have that that point where it becomes a piece of paper again, because all jurisdiction jurisdictions aren't systems aren't necessarily talking to each other. So even if someone else is doing electronic titling, that's, that's a, a big challenge in of itself. And I don't know, um, you know, when something like that would be resolved where you would have, and there's a lot of that going on. We're in a state like New Jersey, we're, um, we're, bumping right up against the border of three other states. And there are dealers from multi-states that come to our auctions to buy vehicles wholesale. Uh, so there's, there's titles traveling in and out of the state all the time. So that it, it, it becomes even more challenging to, to try to move to something where everything is electronic when it's difficult for that vehicle's transaction to stay within the state. Lauren, do you think the industry will be ready when the jurisdictions do start to make these transitions? You know, are, are, is the industry going to be able to adapt, react, and change to engage in this fully electronic manner? I, I do think so. Um, I, I do want to say I think industry can adapt a little bit quicker than government. We don't have all of the layers sure. to go through. Um, and as soon as the the dealers know what the consumer wants or see a place where the consumer is asking for something. I mean, they're going to adapt there. They're going to go to where the customers are and how the customers want you to market to them or sell to them. So absolutely. The industry is ready. So when you talk about, you know, where the industry reacts to consumer needs and consumer behaviors, I'm going to ask you both to look into your crystal ball now. You know, we've talked about these evolving business models of online car sales and different way people are buying in and selling vehicles. You know, what what does the future hold for the way vehicles are bought and, and sold? Some would say the pandemic has heightened wanting to do everything online. Like in Lauren's case, everything can be delivered to your front door now. Um, on another hand, there's this, after this year and a half, this pent up energy to want to get back to touching and being in person and having interpersonal experiences and perhaps going to the dealership and kicking the tires is, is part of that. Um, that's where I get to play the host and just ask the question and not give my opinion, but, you know, curious from the, the two of you looking at this, what, what does the future trajectory of online car sales look like? Well, I can take some of that from my very cloudy crystal ball. I think there's going to be some, Amazonification of car sales, where I'm like in my in my living room and I click on a car and I want it tonight in my driveway and I don't care what color it is or how many cup holders it has. I I just want a car, any car, and I want it fast. I think, however, with all of the new and exciting and interesting technology, whether it be autonomous vehicles or like electric vehicles um, or anything that's new in a car. You're going to have people who want to learn about the technology that's in the car and will need to go into the dealership to speak with specialized um, salespeople to learn about how to use the technology, um, how, how it can work for their lives. And so I think you will have more people going into the physical location just as the cars become more advanced so they can they learn about it. I don't think you can learn 
everything you need to know about these new technologies just from sitting at home and looking at online. Jim, how's your crystal ball these days? Uh, I, I, I agree with Lauren about the, you know, Amazonification. I, I, I seeing consolidation in the car industry when it comes to who owns the dealership, certainly in the franchise world, there's a consolidation. I think that's going on where the, the local dealership may still have this big called the same name, the family name that it's always been called, but it may actually be owned by a, a larger corporation. And I, and I, I've often wondered if at some point you're going to see along with that, uh, you know, based on economies of scale where you might want to pull back how many locations you have. Uh, I think younger consumers may be less likely than someone like myself to go kick the tires. And, and maybe it's a matter of having cars brought to a house that someone can look at and maybe not so many brick and mortar locations. I don't know if that means that some jurisdictions may not see a physical presence of some dealerships at all. I, I understand that, say, a company like Tesla is not in all 50 states, even though they're selling vehicles mm -hmm. to all 50 states. So, you know, will, will more of that happen? It's certainly cheaper to have less of those facilities. I mean, some of that goes hand in hand with what manufacturers will demand of the dealers. But when you look at that and you look at the idea not to get too far off topic, but that concept of autonomous electric vehicles and whether or not we would go to an on-demand model of, and not, not car ownership model anymore would certainly shift that as well. But, you know, getting away, getting back to what we are more used to, I'm just wondering if we'll see fewer and fewer uh, physical locations. Or if even if the traditional car ownership model stays, you know, to Lauren's point, you go online, you click, and then the all-electric autonomous vehicle drives itself to your house. I don't know. After the pandemic, I'm not getting in someone else's car that I don't know. No, thank you. Well, that's that, so. The autonomous vehicle, nobody has been in it. It brings itself to your house, and you don't have to worry about any lingering air particles. I don't know. If I, didn't, if I don't own it, I'm not car sharing with random. No. <laughs> Hey, before we wrap up here, I want to um, give the opportunity to learn a little bit about, about each of you. And Lauren, in particular, we've mentioned the um, NADA that you represent, but I really haven't given you a chance to tell our listeners who the NADA is, what you're all about, um, and what your, your association represents. Can you give us a little bit of that, that high-level overview? Sure. Um, you know, we're the National Trade Association for Franchise New Car Dealers. Uh, we have a long history of working with AMVA, um, and I'm so excited to be on this podcast because we support AMVA as associate members, and we we attend all their meetings, and we work hand-in-hand in, hand in the states through our state associations with our state regulators like Jim, and we have, we have a long partnership. We're excited to continue um, with our state regulators, with AMVA, and going forward, whether there's EVs, AVs, or the car just shows up that someone else has been in, um, we're excited to... <laughs> continue these partnerships going forward. Well, I hope you'll be able to join us. Uh, we're going to be having our first in-person meeting, uh, you know, post-pandemic at the end of August at our annual I will conference. be there. Excellent. Great. I won't make you get in the car with me. <laughs> uh, and, and Jim, how long have you been with the Motor Vehicle Commission in New Jersey? Uh, I've been with Motor Vehicle uh, since 2007. And uh, 
and and from day one, one of the things that I've always been responsible for has been uh, dealer licensing. Well, I want to really thank both of you for spending a few um, minutes today with us to chat about these evolving area of online car sales. Um, I want to just open it up to either of you. Is there anything about this topic you were really hoping we would touch on today that we haven't haven't gotten to? I, I would like to remind uh, any listeners to to go to the AMBA website and and look up the best practices uh, that we had created for uh, online car sales. It, it's 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 a little more than just dealer licensing, though. A lot of it is dealer licensing, and um, and if there's even a a white paper attached to that on uh, wholesale vehicle sales. I appreciate you bringing those up, Jim. There are a lot of um, great, great deliverables at a hub jurisdictions, um, particularly the 2019 best practice for the regulation of internet vehicle sales uh, and the uh, attached uh, wholesale dealer white paper. So with that, I want to thank both of you. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in this week. I want to thank our producers, Chelsea Hadwin and Claire Jeffrey. And we'll see you all back here next week on the Amphicast. Until then, stay well, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Amphicast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Recall Buzz, powered by Vinsmart. Visit us at amphicast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.